Hola. Hello. Bienvenidos a Enredo. A podcast about raising bilingual children. I do like to read with my mama. This is Monica. And this is Paula. Welcome to Entredos. A podcast about raising bilingual children. If you listen to this podcast, you probably have a language vision or goal for your family. Our guest, Madalena Santapolo, founded We Live Languages to help multilingual families reach those goals by translating research into actionable steps. Madalena is based in Frankfurt. She is trilingual and is raising trilingual kids. She shared some great ideas for families to increase exposure and form communities through which they can foster language. We Live Languages is launching a free email series to help parents raising multilingual children on May 20th. Stick around until the end to get more details from Magdalena. We'll also share the information in our show notes. Here's our conversation. Madalena, thank you so much for joining us today. To start, can you tell us a little bit about your multilingual family? Um, yes, I can tell you two stories because I happen to be a multilingual child myself and I'm raising multilingual children too. So um, I grew up in Brussels, Belgium. My dad is Greek, my mom is German. So for me, languages have always been something normal. And I'm raising now children who speak Greek because I speak Greek to them speak German because dad speaks German to them and were born and raised in London. Um, we've always had this international, international lifestyle, that sounds horrible, but we've always been a multilingual family. How old are your children? My children are now seven and nine years old. So they're pretty independent. They can sit in front of books and screens by themselves. Um, but at the very beginning, of course, I spend time with them. Why Why did you decide to start We Live Languages? And can you explain for those um, for those listeners who might not be familiar with it, can you explain what it is as well? So we moved to London in 2010 and I was pregnant with my, Dora, with my, with my daughter Nora at the time. And of course, because I grew up as a trilingual, I wanted to raise a trilingual child myself. And walking around the streets in London, people started asking me, but don't you think this is a bit confusing? Don't you think this will be too much? And I said, well, no, why? Why should that be too much? And I said, well, do you know anybody who grew up with multiple languages? And I went, well, yes, of course. Well, how well do you know those people? And I said, very well, I really. And I'm like, well, it's myself, it's my own story. And I realized that people doubt this very much. And this really confused me. And so I went on to organize the German-speaking playgroup or took over organization there. But because I said earlier, I'm the Greek-speaking parent, um, I created the Greek-speaking playgroup and met lots of parents there. And that's when I started to notice what people, people have all this knowledge and all this information about bilingualism and multilingualism, but that doesn't make them act on things. So knowing and doing are two different, are very, two very different things. And I thought, what can I do to help those parents to realize the potential they have? And that's where basically the idea of We Live Languages was born, or back then it was still called the AMA Collective, to find a way to make this more actionable for people, to be able to translate what research says into daily actions, to see how the differences are there and what you can do with the time you have. Because, of course, there's not one path forward for multilingual families, but there is a path for everybody. So everybody of us, each individual, can improve on what we're currently doing. 
And the question is, what can we do and how can we use that? And so I applied with this idea. Back then I had this huge um, ambition of launching an app to support multilingual education and applied to Google Campus's Startup School for Mums and was granted, was among the 36 participants in 2016. And while I was doing the course, I realized, oh, crap, this app needs so much explanation. We need to get the people on board much earlier. We need to explain the problem. We need to make them aware of these ambitions that I developed a whole set of workshops and talks to go with it. And so we took 10 steps back, if you want to, went back to the basically grassroots movements and said, right, people, how can we help you take action? How can we move forward together? And that's where those workshops, those talks, you know, ultimately this email series comes from. It's interesting to hear that the, that these preconceived notions of you know, language learning, right, are prevalent around the world. It's really weird because you think there's so much knowledge out there. There's so many stories about all of us. But then again, um, the stories are so different and people don't necessarily identify with one another. So I don't know about you, but if you've grown up as a bilingual, you might find trilingualism questionable. Or if you've grown up with one language and learned a foreign language later on, you might question bilingualism per se. So we always observe, basically, that there's this one thing more that makes us question the other. There's always this one language on top where people start to have questions. They don't understand an identity that is different from their own. And if you want to, the same happened to me too. I was this trilingual child on the streets of London, basically saying to people, well, why don't you, why don't you know my story? Why don't you understand that my experience exists too? And people didn't because they weren't familiar with this. So how can we make that? more normal, more approachable, more something that people understand. Right. And, and it's it's advocacy, it seems like it's sort of such an important part of this formula, right? To continually sort of ha explain and advocate for uh, language learning and bilingualism and trilingualism, whatever is your goal is, right? And um, what can can a multilingual parent expect in, in your courses? Because it seems like it, it, it could be a very customizable experience. Yes, that's where we're going for. That's what we're aiming for. Um, so what you can expect is that we help, we help you stay on track. So no matter your goal, we help you, whether you've, where, uh, whichever point of the journey you are, we pick you up and help you improve what you have currently in place, depending, of course, on where you want to go. So we help you define build and expand on your goals. Um, and we have a step-by-step -step guide in doing that. We have a, we've built a system over the years that helps you go from one step to another. And so if you want me to give you an example, we always start by saying to people, well, there are four levels of language learning if you want to. Which ones do you want to reach? Are you happy with your child simply recognizing your language? Do you want your child to understand your language? Do you want your child to talk in your language or do you want your child to master your language? Because every single step of those requires a different form of investment. And the further you want to go up that chain, the more time it will cost you and the more the investment, the more investment is required. But we've had people, we've had families who say, we're very, very happy if our child merely recognizes the language. You know, and we've had others who say this is wonderful if they understand, if they can basically sit next to us at the kitchen table and know what we're talking with, with grandma and granddad about. The next ones who say, well, yes, I mean, we need them to talk. We need them to interact. 
Well, they need some form of people around them. And the ones who master, they really need education. So, you know, you have, depending on where you want to go, you need to do something. You can do something about it. That's what we help you to realize and help you put into action. That's so interesting. I, I took the quiz that you have um, on your website. So for, for those listening, if you go to welivelanguages.com, correct? Um, we There's a quiz and that helps you identify the type of household um, you are. And mine is a bilingual minority household, which I assume is one, not both parents don't speak the minority languages. Um, and one of the recommendations that it said right after was uh, you need to create more need for the language. So in a case like that, like, could you give us maybe some examples or tips or advice that you give parents to achieve that, creating a need for the language? So, often, so if you are a bilingual minority household, this means that probably your husband speaks English and you live in the States and you are the Spanish-speaking parent, I assume. Yes. And often... <laughs> <laughs> so often, I mean, if, if there's only, if the child has only the reason to speak Spanish because of you, because only you speak Spanish, that is not enough of an anchor to make this important enough in their life. But you can, and we refer to those anchors, you can build more anchors around them so they have more reason to speak your language, more reason to speak your, lang your language with you, and more, speak, more reason to identify the language. And those reasons can be as simple as put up a poster on the wall so they have something to recognize Spanish writing and they have a reason to chat to you about it. This can be something like listening to the Spanish radio. This is all about the exposure level of language where they kind of stumble almost by accident onto your language. This is not something that you build into a learning program. But this is kind of your language is lived around you. And they have those touch points with your language throughout their life. You can go on create another need by having friends who speak those languages and this is where community groups are very very important or another form of anchor because they show the social importance of it now i don't know what kind of relationship you have to your parents but this is the most say dear to people's heart um, to speak to grandparents but often grandparents speak multiple languages themselves so it's not always the draw that's there for a child it will be their daily life their daily surrounding and their daily area. So how can you involve others? And you can also, I mean, if you have toys, if you have things that come from your Spanish country's origin, is um, you can have, I don't know, a bowl that is made in Venezuela or Mexico or Chile that represents this. And you can have a reason. Again, it gives you your child an anchor, a reason to talk to you about the things that is in front of them. And that is something that will create more need, a need for conversation, and ultimately boost your language. And, uh, you know, it's exposure and increasing exposure really seems to be one of the recurring themes and and and, and audience questions that we get. Because yes. depending on where you live, um, it can be something as simple as going to the playground Um, for me, for instance, I live in a community where Spanish is very dominant. So my daughter, I can take her to a playground mm -hmm. in a certain community and she can play in Spanish with other kids. For other people, this is nearly impossible, right? Yeah. 
No, and people have different preferences. So some people feel very comfortable to speak on the playground to a stranger and others feel very intimidated for doing so. Right. So we all have, you know, our own characters built into this and insecurities. Um, it's, I mean, of course, it always depends, but there's so much you can do around your home as well. So as mentioned earlier, you can have those posters, you can have those radio shows, you can have the toys, you can have the objects, you can have, think of the five senses that you can involve there. And then you can have, I mean, if you just want to keep it local, you can go with a Skype course, you can go with YouTube videos, if you fancy showing them some screens. Um, you can come up with nursery rhymes. I mean, one of the things we say, and this is about well, building language around your routines, and many things, especially in the early days, is very repetitive. But how about singing a little song when you change the nappies or sing a little song to tie the shoelaces? And like that, you include more and more Spanish vocabulary as you move along, which doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily in the community or outside or doesn't cost a lot of money or investment, but you give it this extra, um, extra boost. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, and you know, that that's, that's a very helpful, that's very helpful advice, especially now, because we don't really have an option to leave the house. No. <laughs> um, it, so we have, we oh, are getting, God. yeah, we're getting very creative with how, you know, to maintain um, the the minority language, right, at home, especially in households like like um, our households, for instance, with Paula and myself, where mm -hmm. our, our our home language is the 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 majority language, right? It's English, so I'm finding I'm I'm finding myself sort of isolating <laughs> with Zoe, my daughter. To sort of mm -hmm. go and speak Spanish, right? And and sort of create that little bubble for us that she used to have in other spaces, not just with me, mm -hmm. in her regular life. Um, so it's it's sort of it, it's good to hear ideas about what to do at home because we can't rely on these out outside um, sources anymore. No, but could you, for instance, ask your husband for support, or partner, I'm sorry, but for support? Could you ask them, hey, we need one hour per day where we all try to speak Spanish. Even if they don't speak Spanish, they can pretend, they can a try idea. to learn a word. You know, you just have a moment. And perhaps you can turn lunchtime into a Spanish time. So you say, you know what, when we sit around the table and we have this family time, this is something that will be Spanish only right now because we don't have this, these alternatives. Is there a way that you can up your without much effort if you want to I mean it's efforts on the part of your partner as such but it can be a game so it's not a burden as such and it right. will be empowering to your children I suppose if they see that dad makes mistakes you know that he doesn't <laughs> speak with a clear accent that he doesn't know everything it can be something that motivates them to to move along actually yes that's good advice we've been doing um spelling quizzes with my mm -hmm. daughter she um, now that we're home, she doesn't have to do them, but she has vocabulary words. So we've been doing spelling quizzes and I've been having my husband do the quiz with her and uh -huh. she has so much fun. And he, he likes it too, because he's like, okay, what does this mean? And she corrects him and when he gets it wrong and it's become kind of like a game. So it's, it's a, it's a good idea. Oh, it works, no. <laughs> you know, they enjoy it. Um, Madalena, I'm curious I'm to know, because yes. when I took the quiz, so it seems like you, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you've broken okay. down families but uh, in three gr main groups, bilingual minority, bilingual majority, and then trilingual. 
Yes, and um, monolingual as such, but yes. And monolingual. So uh, I'm curious to know what is, what are the main challenges that trilingual families face and what what type of things do Ooh. are they working on? No, no, this is, this is basically our case. Well, in the way... <laughs> The, the current circumstances have all put us in a different household constellation, haven't they? They might have turned a previously monolingual household into a bilingual minority household like yours, so introduced a new language at home where the partners have to switch and speak Spanish. They have definitely turned, say, our trilingual family into more of a bilingual ma majority family. Um, so, so the challenges under these current circumstances have become somewhat different. What typically affects a trilingual family is that they have to juggle two minority languages at home where others just have one. Now, it becomes easier than your situation if both partners speak each other's language, but it becomes more complicated if they don't. And under, the, under either circumstance, we always recommend you need to find your little islands for both languages, a space where they can both exist. And the best thing to do is to try to keep them in balance. So I know it's not entirely a numbers game and it doesn't work perfectly every time, but aim for having, I don't know, a morning in Greek, an afternoon in German and a school life in English, for example. And like that you will have a third of a day a quarter to, um, associated with one language each. And you can hopefully keep them alive that way. Equally, please don't worry if at the time given, you just have to focus on one language. So you don't have the time to do all of them and you need to cut it out for a moment. This may happen. Um, hopefully it won't be forever and you can catch up later. So it is okay to, to take a break as well. Try to figure out what is your top priority and keep that going. And if it's languages, try to find a balance between them. You also have a, a wonderful guide to forming grassroots language communities on your mm -hmm. on your site, and it's currently free to download. Um, what would you tell parents to encourage them to take that step of forming their own playgroup or community? I think community is the most important thing you can find. Um, it's not so much for yourself, but for your children to identify with others and find friends in the same language. So if you can invest a bit of time in this now, it will pay off later greatly. Um, it also helps you to have a reason to keep going with your language. So whenever one of us fails or slips or doesn't speak our language anymore, can't resist, this community will be the reason for you to go back to that and remember why you're on this journey, why you do this adventure. So I think connecting with people is ultimately what we're in this for, aren't we? That's why we try to speak to our children, our languages, that we're trying to reach out to other people. And you can do that. You can make this change for others happen. Now, of course, um, to create a community group right now under the current lockdown situation will be tough, but you can take the time to, I mean, we all have the gift of time, so you can read through that and try to prepare. You can see if there's interest if you want to. You can just launch a post somewhere and see if people respond to it. And perhaps take those people then forward once we're out of this um, time, once we can all meet again, and once we can socialize better. 
Um, so both, um, and we've changed format recently, so we have 30 in-depth in interviews on our website currently to reflect on the aforementioned three slash four household dynamics. And the idea behind this was to put theory to practice to show you all, well, how, how does a bilingual minority household look like? What does a trilingual household do? What does a bilingual majority household do? You know, so you have examples from real life people who also have the same questions that we are all going through. How do we make that happen? How do we live languages? And to kind of flip through them um, without the need of reading a, a book on bilingualism, but just to realize, oh, I like this, I don't like this, etc. Now, the stories have a little changed a little bit. They've moved over to Instagram and have become monthly features. So you can still follow them. We are at Wheel of Languages and you can see just what life in languages looks like to very different people and have a yeah, an example of the this myriad of experiences because yes we're all unique in a way but uh, we are we're united by this by this um, ambition of wanting to pass on of wanting to be heard of wanting to connect the past and the future in a way for the 30 interviews, we went to families' homes, um, sat down with them. I documented their daily life, either in the morning, midday or afternoon. So it was a daily activity of theirs. We sat down, had two hours conversation that we recorded, transcribed and then edited the interview. So it was a lengthy process, but it was well worth it because you heard all those stories and you were witnessing their life, how they put, on the sh how they put the children's shoes on, how they wake up in the morning, how they struggle to put them to sleep at night, how we all go through those very mundane tasks and how this is what actually makes family life. Yeah, and the pictures really add so much to it because it's like you're getting a peek into somebody's home. So they're really... They're That's really so nice great. to hear. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, and... Coming up on, on May 20th, you, you are launching a free email series for families. Can you tell us about Indeed. it? Um, what is the goal and how can people sign up? Mm -hmm. So um, the goal is to give you everything you need to know about raising multilingual children in one place. Um, so make it very easy. You can save time. You can read through them and find your position. It came up with this um, as we went into lockdown thinking, what can we do to help people? What can we do now with all our languages to move forward? Um, you can sign up at welivelanguages.com forward slash free minus email minus series. Um, I can repeat that later too. And you will get five emails, basically. One is on the strategies, one is on the benefits, one on the numbers, on the milestones, and on the prejudices around multilingualism. And the idea is also to just give you the snapshot so you can, you can see where you're standing on this. You can think this through and move on to the next subject. Hopefully implement those ideas in your daily life, turn them into an actionable thought and move on. Um, the series will also stay free forever. So if you sign up now, we launch the trial tomorrow, which is April 29th, but the official launch is on May 20th, as you said. Um, please join us. It will be fun. Oh, we'll so. be doing that. And, and Madala, um, can you, can you tell us how people can connect with, with We Leave Languages, the different spaces where you're, you are? So we are, <laughs> we are 
essentially on all social media. So our handle is at We Live Languages. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Um, if you want to read the stories, go to Instagram. If you want to have hands-on advice, join our Facebook group. And if you want to connect with us on a more theoretical level, if you want to business-wise, Twitter and LinkedIn would be the best. Um, you can sign up to our newsletter, of course, which is welovelanguages.com forward slash newsletter. And then you get a monthly story, uh, a monthly email on the perspectives, prompts and people's stories. So it's a summary, basically, of all our activities and just one short email for you. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Madalena, for speaking with us. You can find more at welivelanguages.com or on social media at welivelanguages. Don't forget to sign up for the free email series. To continue the conversation, join us on Instagram at Entre Dos Podcast or in our Facebook group. And if you like what we do, please rate and review us or tell a friend about Entre Dos. Hasta la próxima. Nos vemos.